The Guru. Find out more at bafta.org forward slash guru. Hi, I'm Rihanna Dillon and this is The Guru, your one-stop talking shop for film, TV and video game production and this month we're all about directing. So let's start with a film that's come out recently, you might have heard of it, American Hustle. It's directed by David O. Russell and this is the trailer. I want to show you something. This Rembrandt here. People come from all over the world to see this. Yeah, he's good, yeah. It's a fake. Don't talk about it. It's impossible. People believe what they want to believe. People believe what they want to believe, which in a way is the attitude you need to get started as a director. Because before he made American Hustle, before he did Silver Linings Playbook, before I Heart Huckabees, David O. Russell made a short film. Uh, Hairway to the Stars. which if you've seen American Hustle, also features quite bad hair. I was meanwhile working at three jobs, a bartender, a waiter. And he's doing it all for the very first time. And I remember walking 30 blocks to scout every location myself and hiring personally every single crew person myself. And that is a situation most of us starting out in film and TV can recognize. Putting the money together from a little bit from an arts grant, a little bit from my borrowed. So even a few years later, when you're making your first feature, Everyone you've hired still knows more than you. I knew one-eighth as every crew member on that set. They'd all made more commercials or films than I'd ever did. I was the least knowledgeable, least authoritative filmmaker on the set. You're blagging props, rooms, crew. I had to get $10,000 worth of rooms for the cast and the crew by agreeing to make a kind of infomercial about the motel center. So I had to film this infomercial about the motel center to get the rooms for the cast and crew. Anything to get that film made. It was very exciting. And it was very little time, 20-something days, 23 days, and kind of grueling. It's probably the greatest hustle of them all. Don't talk about it. It's impossible. People believe what they want to believe. So as a director, how do you make that leap from filming shorts to making that first feature? That's what we're going to find out today with a whole host of directors, including David O. Russell, Jim Field Smith of The Wrong Mans, actor and director Romola Gary, Plus, we pull open BAFTA's archive and hear from Wes Anderson, Joss Whedon, Martin Scorsese and more. So stick around. The Guru. Let's begin then with David O. Russell on this month's special on directing. In this interview, we talk about shorts, how to handle A-list actors and at the start, how he approaches filmmaking. The best thing that you can have as a filmmaker is the authority in your heart of the story and the characters. And if it's a story that you're not entirely rooted in, you're not going to be as good an authority. <laughs> Historically, oh yeah, no, the best perfumes in the world, they're all laced it's with true. something nasty. Stop, stop, well, it, 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 it is true. It is true. Irving true. loves it. Oh, my you God. You can't get enough of that smell. Mm. Yeah. Oh. Can't get enough. <laughs> Carmine. Carmine, smell her nails. Sweet and sour. Smell her nails. Rotten and delicious. It smells like flowers. Flowers, but with garbage. And like sour. Yeah. Flowers. You know what that is for me? It's coriander for me. Oh, but Arthur loves it. He can't get enough. That's what hooks you. We have what I call a little short film about the Carmine Polito character that's narrated by Bradley Cooper about the Jeremy Renner character. And I, I always called that the Carmine Polito short film when Louis C.K. says, oh no, Carmine Polito, no, no, don't get involved with him. And then you hear Bradley say, oh, he told me that 
Carmine was the most quietly powerful person in the state of New Jersey. That was a short film that we made in the service of a, of a feature film. What do you kind of miss about shorts now that you're making feature films? I actually think short films are harder to do. It's like haiku or something, you know? I mean, I just the, the pressure to tell something so quickly, I kind of blanch at it. He's gonna say, he's gonna say, we have to talk business in five, four, three, two, one. Could me and the man talk about business here? You've got quite a few cast members back from Silver Linings Playbook and some from The Fighter. They seem to love working with you. For you, is it just like a matter of you picking up the phone and being like, I want you to be in my movie? It's a process, you know. I feel that um, I have to create characters and a story that is worthy of these actors and the great trust that they give me, you know, and the great leap they'll take with me together. So I, in a way, feel that I'm auditioning for them and I always want to create a role that is worthy of them. I would say the privilege I have is that I can pick up the phone and speak to them and go to their home and speak to them about the role, which can help us both decide what the character can be at its best and if or how we would want to do it. It's, I mean, it's a winning combination. You know, you've already been nominated for a Golden Globe Award for Best Director. I have this theory that films don't really win awards without great performances from the actors, and you don't get great performances without an outstanding relationship between actor and director. I can't speak historically. I can just say for me that the, the best has been this last three films, which came for me as a very clear period of working from instinct, working more from the heart and, and uh, meaning it. I can't imagine these films without the, the, the confidence and trust of these actors as my partners, that we create the world together. It's very exciting for all of us. It was exciting in The Fighter. It was exciting in Silver Linings. And I think on the set of American Hustle, there was a lot of excitement just for everybody to be there together, to have Christian Bale with Jennifer Lawrence, to have Amy Adams with Bradley Cooper, to have Robert De Niro back, to have Jeremy Renner join us. The combinations, Christian and Bradley, all very exciting for everybody. I think everybody kind of elevated and it made everyone excited to watch the others work and to and to see what was created together between all of them. There's something very chemical about that when you know that uh, Amy and Jennifer are going to have an electric scene together. I think everybody on the set that day could feel it. Or, or likewise with uh, Christian and Bradley or Christian and um, Jennifer. It's exciting. David Russell, thank you very much for talking to the Guru. Thank you. Thank you for coming down. Hi, my name is Romola Gary. I am an actress, but I have recently directed a short film called Scrubber. And it's a story of a young mother who's living on a new build estate on the edge of a town. And she spends her days cleaning her house and looking after her daughter, but she also has some sort of strange sexual interests as well. So Scrubber was my debut. I was very influenced by a lot of different directors, but there are some people that I always go back to. When I started thinking I would like to try to direct, I saw a movie called Red Road by a British director called Andrea Arnold. 
It was very impressive for me to see a film that had all the kind of beautiful visual lyrical qualities of a lot of British filmmakers. And it was also a very contained story, but the plot was still really important. And she managed as a director to keep a very important piece of information away from the audience for a long time, which was very impressive to me. And it's something I always return to. But I can't even walk home. Well, I have this feeling that I've met you before. Look at me. I need you to look at me. I think Andrew Arnold is a really, really brilliant director. Better known for her film Fish Tank, but um, she's definitely on my list uh, for that as well. But Red Road was the thing that really, really influenced me. My list of some favourite directors is in no particular order. So slightly strangely now I'm going to move on to the work of a director called Michael Haneke. La cassette fait plus de deux heures. Quite a tough view if you haven't seen his films before. I started watching his films when I guess was I was in my mid-twenties. The first film of his that I ever saw was called Cachet and I remember very strongly leaving the cinema and thinking, why did I spend my money on that film? But I couldn't get it out of my head and it, and it stayed with me for days and days and days. And since then I've seen, I think, most of his films and I think he's probably the best director working in the world at the moment. The third director that I've chosen is Stanley Kubrick. There are some great directors in the world that make a film a year or every two years, and I really, really believe that you cannot do this. Films have to be worked on for a long time. And as an actor, I mean, I've read a lot of scripts over the years where I've thought, this is good, but some, this is a first draft, and somebody has literally worked on this for six months. Kubrick you know, I suppose relative to, you know, the length of his career didn't make that many films. And I think that's why they're so, so amazing. And the first time I ever saw The Shining, I'd never thought that a genre film could elevate itself to the status of like an amazing piece of psychological drama. There's lots of filmmakers that I really love who I think are primarily probably cinematographers. And I think Kubrick is not that, he is a storyteller. The first director that I chose was Andrea Arnold, and the fourth director I'm going to choose is Jane Campion. Firstly, she is somebody who explores passion in a way that I just have, have never really seen anybody do quite as well. Love and sex and, you know, romance is something that the film industry kind of you know, in a way sort of created a lot of our ideas of those things. And I think whenever I see her films, I always feel like I'm being grounded in, in a, a real truth and understanding about, about passion. Portrait of the Lady is one of the most beautiful films I've, I've ever, ever seen, but not because it looks lovely in a kind of life-affirming way, but because she um, uses the, the images to tell a story about somebody who has to make a really important decision in their life and makes the wrong decision, and I, I think it's really worth, worth seeing. And the fifth person on my list I've chosen is not a director sort of who has anything in common with the other directors, but I think he has probably made, I would say, the films that have given me the most pleasure, and that is uh, Rob Reiner, very famous for directing uh, The Princess Bride, and this is Spinal Tap. But I think I probably chose him because he directed a film called When Harry Met Sally. It's very, very easy to make a bad romantic comedy. In a way, I sort of feel like it's a much maligned art form purely because it's just so difficult to get right. I have decided that for the rest of the day, we are going to talk 
like this. Like this? No. Please, to repeat after me. Pepper. 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 Waiter, there is too much pepper on my paprikash. I think if it had been directed by a different director, it would have been marketed as a drama and it would have been sort of sold as a very serious piece of work and yet it wasn't. It was marketed as a film for everybody and that is part of the reason that I really love it and think it's really superior to a lot of very talky films about couples when it's obviously a masterpiece. I don't say that lightly. <laughs> Would you like to go to the movies with me tonight? Would you like to go? Not to repeat, please, to answer. Would you like to go to the movies with me tonight? Oh. That was Romola Gary. Her first short, Scrubber, appeared at Sundance 2013, so see if you can track down a copy. It's time to take someone through their showreel, so from early shorts to full features and find out how they got where they are today. This month, I'm in the really swanky BAFTA calf, joined by Jim Field-Smith, the director of She's Out of My League and most recently The Wrong Man's for BBC Two and Episodes, the sitcom starring Matt LeBlanc. Hi. Hello. Hi. Let's start with your beginnings, which were in a comedy sketch troupe. Yeah. What kind of stuff did you learn? You've gone with from the word that? troupe there, I notice, which is <laughs> some people go with troupe, some people go with group. I'm not quite sure. Troupe always makes me think of people with sort of sparkly outfits, but. Um, you mean you didn't wear spangly like oh, We've done, actually. It's a long time ago now. We may have done, <laughs> I can't remember. Yeah, I started out in a sketch group called the Dutch Elm Conservatoire. Me and four other guys that had met through... I was working in TV as a runner and had wanted to get into doing a bit of writing and maybe a bit of performing, and I met these other guys through various different routes. And we really started up as just... with nothing in mind other than just meeting up and trying out some sketches, and it just snowballed, really. Annual performance review. The basic gist of it is, you've had a good year. Well done. Carry on. Sorry. I was hoping to get some feedback. <coughs> now, what I meant... <coughs> right. In 2004, around the kind of time that you were nominated for a Perrier, you made your first short film, Missing Moscow. Mm-hmm. So tell us about that concept. So Missing Moscow was the result of myself and one of my oldest friends and collaborators, George Kay who I was at school with and who we'd always tried to make bits and pieces together. We used to write a magazine together and we had this idea to go and make a sort of faux documentary and we discovered that there's quite a lot of Russian immigrants living in London and we tracked down a few sort of pockets of, of these people living in London and we basically filmed them in a documentary style so we followed them around and I don't speak a word of Russian and neither does George which was part of the sort of point. For example, there was this one lady who ran a shop and we said, oh, just give us a tour of your shop and we'll just film you. And then some of the funniest days of my life so far were spent with George sitting with the rushes, just going, now, what could they be saying here? (laughs) So we liked the idea that these filmmakers had set out to make a documentary about how sad and lonely these people must be. And through the course of the documentary, you realise they're not sad and lonely at all and they keep reiterating how they're absolutely fine and they're having a great time. It was then kind of, there was another short, Goodbye to the Normals, um, which has a brilliant payoff at the end. And that was selected by Rush's Soho Mm -hmm. Shorts. Yeah. Part of the success of that film was it was very short. You know, it was three minutes long. 
I think a lot of people make a mistake with short films and that they, they try and make shorts that are really flashy or, or, or like have loads of tricks in them or um, they often sort of come across a bit like you know director of photography's showreels rather than being little stories in their own right and I think especially now that people have access to such great equipment the temptation is to make something that looks great and they edit it and is really flashy and has great music and sound design but actually isn't story and the thing we focused on with Goodbye to the Normals was you know story and casting yes we wanted it to look good of course but that wasn't our, our primary concern can I give you a lift to the airport no thank you how will you be I'm um, going by boat really well I've offered him a lift to the airport uh, but apparently he's fine he's going by boat okay um banana sandwiches are they fair trade well they're organic is that what I asked you now, where have I been all your life with James Corden yes. and Imelda Staunton? That was kind of a lot more substantial than your previous yeah. kind of shorts. So what did that allow you to do? Well, that was a bit of a decision, actually, to do something a bit more substantial, because I think partly when I made that first short film, Goodbye to the Normals, that's when I first started to take meetings with people in America and in Hollywood and so on. And so, and they was, the sort of the sense I was getting was, this is great, yeah. you know, but it's, have you got anything else? At the time, I was like, not really. No, um, I'm in a sketch group uh, <laughs> called the Dutch Elm Conservatoire. <laughs> Cut to long pause while they <laughs> fidget uncomfortably in their seats. But um, again, just one of those timing things. We were very lucky. BBC Films um, was starting up a shorts programme, and you know, as I'm sure your listeners will know, it's, it's very hard to, to make short films to get them funded, and there are very, very few shorts programmes around. Not just a shorts programme, but a comedy shorts programme. And so we went in and spoke to them and. We had the script, you know, we had the previous short film. I was starting to get a little bit more established and James Corden came on board and Imelda Staunton came on board and it was one of those sort of organic things where BBC Films said, oh, okay, let's do this. But I think we paid on that shoot. I think we paid everyone the same. I think that's how we, I think that's how we did it in the end. We were trying to work out how to do it and we said, look, we don't have much money but I'd, I'd, we'd like to pay everyone something. Yeah. I think we said to Imelda and to the grip, anyone involved, the runners and everyone, were like, you're all going to get paid X amount and everyone's getting that same amount. Can we ask um, how much that was? I, do you know, I genuinely, I'm I not, mean, I'm not like avoiding the question. Small, was it like oh, a, a tenner? Small amount. Or? A bit more than a tenner, <laughs> but uh, less than a grand uh, <laughs> for, for the two days' work. The reason that I'm here is that I started using the internet and um, I found this online service that that helps people like like me people who are looking to meet other people and um, I was keen to find out who and where my dad is and after a lot of painstaking research it turns out that well it turns out that he lives here. You are he. So at some point between that time with the short and then 2010, Hollywood came calling and yeah. then you made She's Out of My League. It's actually a shorter period because I She's Out of My League sat for a while before it came out okay. and I actually was hired for She's Out of My League before I'd finished where have I been all your life? But I had a rough cut of it, and I flew out to LA to meet with DreamWorks, and I, I had literally, I had a DVD in my bag that was like a rough cut that I'd output from the edit. And we hadn't even finished it, and I took it, and I showed it to them, 
you know, because they wanted to see something a bit more substantial. I was like, well, I just happen to have this in my bag. This is a rough cut. Um, unfortunately, it was just about good enough that I could get away with showing it. You know, I was hired to direct She's Out of My League, having not even really yet finished where have I been in your life which is kind of an unusual situation so, so since then you've directed episodes for Hattrick yep. Productions and the BBC and you talked about the wrong mans for Hulu and the BBC I'm a town planning and noise guidance advisor for Berkshire County Council you're a 31 year old male distribution assistant who lives with his mum exactly stuff like this never happens I don't want it to happen I heard quite a nice story that your producer on the wrong man's talked about like you know the car roll at the mm-hmm. kind of the very beginning and they had like one take and one car yeah, to get it right true. so you know compare that to a, you know in Hollywood you yeah, have a row a of cars yes that is a difference between TV and film I don't think you do a big stunt on a feature film and mm-hmm. only have one hit at it yes I mean, how yeah. was that when you woke up that morning and you thought, oh God, I've got this one, I've got to get this right? Yeah. The biggest problem with that scene is that it actually started snowing halfway through <laughs> filming it. The car stunt was the least of our worries. And we'd shot half the scene and it was the last day, It was because the, the, we shot it as a pilot first. And so that, that car crash in the first episode is from the pilot. Okay. Uh, and it was the last day of a six-day shoot. It was this time of year, actually. It was in 2010. It was a beautiful, crisp morning in Windsor Great Park, and we'd shot everything looking in one direction. So we'd shooted Matt walking down the road towards us, the car coming towards us, all the lovely sort of establishing shots. And we said, right, we need to turn around now, and we'll rig the car up, and we'll get ready to shoot the, the car stunt. And literally, as we were turning around, it just, there was a blizzard. God. And... These are the challenges that you, you you can't predict, really. You know, you, you can have, you know, meteorologists and all this kind of stuff, but ultimately, the weather is incredibly unpredictable, particularly in Britain. And we just there was nothing we could do about it. It was the last day of the shoots. We didn't have, we couldn't go. Well, let's push it to tomorrow and or come back. You know, we couldn't. We, and we had the car was rigged and ready to go, and it was, you know, a moderately expensive stunt to to do. To, and we couldn't repeat it. And I just had to make a judgment call on the day and say, look, we've just got, we've got to carry on. We've got to shoot it and we'll have to figure out afterwards how we cut between beautiful green grass and blue skies and Fargo whiteouts on the other side. If you watch that sequence, every shot in one direction is real snow Mm -hmm. and every shot in the other direction is fake post-production snow. I'm dying to go back and watch that yeah, show now. Yeah, and actually they did an amazing job because, I mean, now that I've told you, you might be able to, to, to spot it to a certain extent, but <laughs> okay. I've never met anyone who's, who's, who's noticed it before. And it wasn't just that sequence. We had every, every shot before that we had to have, to have mm-hmm. snow, and then we had to have snow in the rest of the episode as well. And then when we came two years later to making the series, the beginning of episode two, it had, it had to be snow, <laughs> yeah. and so we added snow in and... Um, <laughs> Just because of that one afternoon. Yeah, just because of that one moment where it God. decided to snow. And of course, after we'd shot the stunt, the sky went clear again and, <laughs> and then the snow started to melt. It was, just, it was like someone was playing a joke yeah. on us. Okay, so finally, you know, we've talked about so much of the work that you've done already. What is kind of coming up next for you? I'm actually um, in pre-production on a, on a film for Paramount called Virgin's America which is a reimagining uh, of the in-betweeners. So, um, <laughs> I was not expecting you to say no, that. No, neither was I. It just came out. <laughs> yeah, it's a great project. You know, the in-betweeners here, obviously very successful TV show. The movie, I think, was the most successful UK comedy at the box office of all time and was really a great sort of send-off almost for those guys. Although I say send-off, they're making a sequel. But there's life in the idea of, of four guys, you know, at, in a moment in time in high school who you know want to go away and have fun and get away from 
their dreary existence at home and so the film the American version is standalone from the Inbetweeners um, and it's just very much about these four American kids who get away from their parents and go on spring break well loads of good luck with that thank I you very much I can't wait to see it yeah in uh, about five years five time years, probably yes yeah. I will be first in line <laughs> Jim Phil Smith it's been really really lovely to talk to you thanks so much my pleasure cheers thanks Now, to finish this month, you might not be aware of it, but every so often, BAFTA likes to invite the great and the good of the film world down to the local pub for a bit of a drink and a chat, just to see how they're getting on. We like to keep these occasions fairly low-key, but as a special treat for you, we thought we'd, you know, stick a couple of microphones up and find out what they talk about. Let's take a listen. And there's your change, and five makes ten. Cheers, darling. Sorry, Mr. Hanks. What were you saying about directing? Every director I've worked with has been completely different from the others. Um, Some directors talk to you a lot, some don't talk to you at all. Some rehearse you, literally, with tape on the floor and the text in your hands. And others won't even even put you through any paces until you, you show up during the day. That doesn't surprise me one little bit, to be honest. Oh, Wes Anderson. Didn't see you waiting there. The usual sunshine. So, if you had to name one director that most influenced you, who would it be? Well, there's so many movies. I think, you know, I who often think... Uh, I mean, um, who would it be? I think Martin Scorsese is probably... When I first started making films, that was my favourite director. Martin Scorsese, good choice. There you are, Wes. A pint of raw Tenenbaum. Right, who's next? Would you believe it? Martin Scorsese. Wes Anderson was just chatting about... Oh, he's off playing darts with Bill Murray. Same again, mate. Listen, my daughter, she's thinking of getting into directing, you know, into the old film industry. Have you got any advice or anything I can pass on? Um, make your own industry. Don't pay attention to industry. Do your own thing. I mean, put it this way. You want the work to be seen, but it doesn't have to be at the Odeon. Quite correct. Well, you can get it all on the YouTubes now, can't you? Oi, Tom, since you're still here, I've been meaning to ask you, who do you think is going to win the BAFTA for Best Director this year? You know, uh, I, f- I fancy a flutter, you know. I think a... Um, uh, a yep, filmmaker's code, I understand. Hello, who's got the new high score on the Avengers pinball machine? Oh, oh cool, it had to be Joss Whedon, didn't it? <laughs> Actually, Joss, I've got an idea for a movie, yeah? It's about a superhero called Bee Lady. She hunts criminals, stings them, and then dies. Uh, but I can't seem to get the financing for it. Uh, what do you think I should do? Uh, my first advice is always make stuff, make stuff, make stuff. Uh, just because it's much easier than it used to be. Uh, even Much Ado is something I couldn't have done ten years ago, the way we did it um, two years ago. <laughs> and uh, Oh, sorry, Tom. Feel free to talk. Some of the best direction I've ever got was, can you try something different? Bit vague, though, isn't it? That, that's a completely legitimate direction to receive. I suppose that is good advice, yeah, Tom, you're right. You can make a film on a camera the size of that doorknob and still show it to uh, 1,600 people in an audience. It's still a great communal experience. You cannot put a camera in that doorknob, Marty. It's a listed building. Right, last orders at the bar, please. Sorry, Tom, don't let me ruin your train of thought. I would say to any director, it's like cast well. well cast well, yeah, trust, got you know, you have to ca- cast you well. You have to yeah, trust yeah. the cast that you yeah, have hired. You got, yeah. Don't give them the job if you don't think they're going to, you know, you're not going to have faith in what, what they deliver onto you. Yep, I was just going to say that, yeah. You have to be in charge, know what you want, and know that you have the ability to get that. Wise words, Whedon. Right, let's get those drinks in. Ooh, remember, everyone, tomorrow night, karaoke. Jackman, I expect to see you there. 
And you, Anderson and Scorsese, I've heard your I've Got You, babe, and it's brilliant. Thanks to Stephen Allen York for making that recording happen. And that's it for this first edition of The Guru. But just because we've had a makeover, it doesn't mean that the old BAFTA podcast is gone. You can find all the old episodes on iTunes and on SoundCloud. Just subscribe at guru.bafta.org. Next month, we'll be talking about acting. So if you've got any questions for us, email them to podcast at bafta.org or tweet us at BAFTAGuru and we'll get them answered. My name's Rihanna Dillon. The producer was Matt Hill with support from Genevieve Smith. See you next time on The Guru. The Guru. 